Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Even before the president's disastrous week, a number of politicians and academics started considering whether he would serve an entire term. Today, we ask the question, could President Trump get fired? This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Everyone has really shown up for this membership drive, and we really appreciate it. We have a good group of supporters, and we hope that you'll continue to support the show. We're putting up um, some patron-only content on our Patreon site. You can go there to read about my extreme Exit the Echo Chamber challenge. The bonus episode for our subscribers this month will be 
Drunk Pantsy Politics. And we're also going to have our first live Q&A with Sarah and me on May 24th at 8 o'clock. So head on over to Patreon if you haven't already. If you have, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to us and really keeps us going. Hello, everyone. This is Sarah and Beth joining you for a specially recorded section of The Pearls. In the suit, we are still going to share our discussion about whether President Trump could be impeached or otherwise taken out of power. And in the heels, as always, we'll talk about what's on our minds outside politics. But we recorded those sections less than 24 hours ago. And (laughs) thanks to a bombshell report from The Washington Post, they are already completely irrelevant. We're going to have to change our recording schedule or something because I feel like every time we record an episode now, the second we hit stop, it's rendered useless. Well, the funniest tweet I saw just just now was somebody said, thank God it's already Thursday. (laughs) It's not Thursday, it's Monday. It's Monday. And last week was so crazy and here we are with just... We've just gone full bananas. I don't mean to laugh because this shit is really serious, but oh my god. Okay, so tell us, tell us what the what, what Washington Post just reported, Beth. Today, Monday, May fifteenth, two thousand seventeen, at eight thirty nine p.m. Because this is the world we're living in now. We're going to timestamp everything. Washington Post has reported that in his meeting with the Russian ambassador, that was not open to American media and was only photographed because a Russian photographer was allowed to be in the room, which was a problem. In that meeting, President Trump, according to the Washington Post, shared information with the Russian ambassador about a specific plot the Islamic State is considering involving the use of laptop computers on airplanes. What is concerning about this is that the specific intelligence the president referenced was learned from a source to the United States that is so sensitive that most people in our own government don't know about that source, and that President Trump, in discussing the information, revealed a city within the Islamic State's territory where that source gathered the information, meaning that Russian intelligence will probably be able to chase that down themselves now, putting the relationship with that source for the United States at risk. Sarah, am I summarizing that correctly? Yeah, and I think it's, I think that's um, a very good summary. And they also reported that not only do people within our own government not know, but there are allies um, were unaware, some of our allies were unaware. So highly classified code word level information. This reporting was um, by Greg Miller and Greg Jaffe. Then, so right after the reporting, they sent McMaster out, which I don't think was an accident, and he said he had a very specifically worded statement, very short, did not take questions, and it's, you know, from what I can tell, it was a very, it was almost like a non-denial denial. He said that the president didn't res- um, reveal sources or methods, but that was not ever what the Washington Post reported, that they, they reported that he revealed intel. 
And so um, Greg Miller went on CNN and said basically that the White House is playing word games and he absolutely stands by the story. I was reading um, Chris, and I never know how to pronounce his last name, Cecilia? Oh, from the Washington Post, The Fix? The Fix. Chris Saliza. Chris Yeah, Saliza. And he's on CNN now. And he tweeted, you know, that he's worked with both of these um, guys personally, worked along the side for years. They don't get stuff like this wrong. Like, you know, and they uh, they reached out to the the White House for a comment. And so I, I don't, I'm skeptical of McMaster. I don't know why he would let them throw him under the bus. But I'm blown away by the reporting and skeptical that the post wouldn't have done um, everything possible to validate the reporting and the white house had a chance to respond and they didn't. And now they're coming out and saying basically it's all false, which is also suspicious to me from the Trump white house. Cause usually they don't even bother saying it's false. They just say, what's the big deal and get away with it. So I don't know. Two other things worth mentioning. Dina Powell, who is also part of the president's national security team, said this story is false. So she mm-hmm. issued the actual denial. And the other thing that I think that is worth mentioning is that the Washington Post article doesn't reveal a lot of detail about the conversation they say at the urging of officials who shared this information with them, because that's how dangerous the officials think it is. Now, I have to say that it seems to me that this whole situation is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So the fact of it happening is very dangerous. The fact of it being in the Washington Post is very dangerous. There are a lot of quotes in this story, like, if the source knew that this information was shared with the Russians, well, I think they do now. Yeah, I mean, it's in the Washington Post. So this is one that really troubles me. You know, I have been, as some of our conservative listeners would say, soft on leaks throughout the Trump presidency because I really understand people looking for this balance of protecting our institutions from what I do believe, as you'll hear in the suit, is an all-out assault on them by the president. I also am concerned at the level of leaking that is happening here, and and it makes me even more concerned about what's not being leaked if mm-hmm. this level of information is being mm-hmm. leaked. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, if intelligence officials are leaking at this level, then they're either, like you said, either there's things that have already happened that aren't being leaked that are worse, or they are so concerned that it could get worse that they're willing to go to this level. I, it's so scary to me. An unbelievable number of people seem to be putting their careers and reputations on the line. Mm-hmm. And there are people who do jobs that are unfathomable to me to protect our country. And so I always do give the benefit of the doubt. As between high-level intelligence fi- officials who would share this kind of information with credible news outlets Mm -hmm. and Donald Trump. I do give the benefit of the doubt to the high level intelligence officials. I just do. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's certainly my bias. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree. And I think that it's just so it's, it's dangerous because of thinking, what are they not leaking? It's dangerous because the impact on the relationships with our allies, this has been written about before. If this continues, they're not going to share information with us. And that puts everybody at risk. And I'm not just talking about um, our military, which is already at risk and anyone working in these areas, but 
You know, if we don't get the right intelligence, we can't prevent attacks. And if our we can't be trusted with the intelligence, they're not going to give it to us. Like, that's terrifying. And the quote from Trump that that was listed in the story did sound right. I mean, I can hear him saying, I get the best intel briefings. People are briefing. It's wonderful. You know, people are briefing me every day. And I heard someone uh, just in passing in the car on my way home from work talking about how they could see the president like being kind of in awe of the information that that is at his disposal Mm -hmm. and getting carried away and just bragging about that information. And in the Washington Post story, there were officials expressing doubt about whether he fully understands what's classified and what's not classified. And I guess because I know that you are dying to bring this up, Sarah, I will I will give you the opening volley on it. I thought it would be a very concerning and unhealthy thing for the country to have someone who treats classified information carelessly in the Oval Office. This is a new level of that. And it is chilling to me to think that Republicans in Congress would take so seriously the way Hillary Clinton handled her emails and do nothing about a report like this. So there you go. I've lobbed it up for you. Obviously, as someone who was lectured, not now I'm not talking about by you, but by several people about Hillary Clinton's handling of classified information, this is infuriating on a level I really didn't even know was possible. And here's a fun fact. If you go to foxnews.com right now, Hillary Clinton's at the top of the page. Back in the political spotlight, Clinton launches Onward Together, calls on members to resist. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Like, I just, I don't even know what to say. No disrespect. I don't give a crap about what Hillary Clinton's (laughs) doing right now. I just, I know. I don't. Seriously. I cannot believe that's at the top of your page. I, to me, you know, my friend Tyler just did a, a Facebook post, and this ties in with our discussion in the suit that impeachment is not about breaking a criminal law, even if technically he had the authority to declassify this information. First of all, I think it is incredibly generous to, to um, characterize what he did as declassifying because that you know implies a level of purposefulness that I don't think existed. But how much more has to happen to understand this man is not capable of doing this job. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I, and I don't mean that he's evil, and I don't mean that he wants to take out America and undermine, you know, the world order, or what, I don't, I don't even think that's true. I just, y'all, I don't think he's up for it in the most basic level. And, like, sharing of classified information, I get the best intel, let me, I mean, I, and I, I mean, I'm honestly, I'm just too, I'm too upset about the egregiousness of this to even tiptoe my foot into the volcanic anger that will eventually, I'm sure, overcome me to, with regards to the hypocrisy of how they chanted lock her up about Hillary Clinton and her freaking emails. Let's take the best case scenario of this story for the president. And let's assume that what H.R. McMaster said is completely accurate, which I am inclined to do because I think H.R. McMaster is a credible 
human being, right, who has served this country admirably. So let's say that he wrote the truest statement that he could in light of what occurred, that President Trump did not discuss sources or methods, and that the people who shared this information with the Washington Post accurately described the conversation. At the very best, we have a president who essentially has mentionitis about the power at his disposal. Mm -hmm. The way that he talks about my generals, I get the best intelligence, the kinds of things he says in public, the casualness with which he reviewed information about North Korea's missile test at Mar-a-Lago. It's kind of like a 15-year-old who really likes that kid over there in class and can't stop talking about them. And that level of emotional intelligence is jaw-dropping to me in the Oval Office. But then putting that in the context of this meeting that occurred, a meeting to which a Russian photographer was admitted but no Mm -hmm. U.S. media... I don't know what to make of that. The day after you fired the head of of the FBI and then admitted that it was because he was investigating your campaign's collusion with Russia. Don't forget that part. It's really hard to interpret the facts in the light most favorable to the president when you put all of that context in place. It really Mm -hmm. is. And that's just the that is just the timeline from the last week. That's not even the timeline from like. When Sally Yates, because, again, that was only, like, what, a week ago today that Sally Yates testified? The timeline of when she told him about Michael Flynn and when Michael Flynn was actually fired and when James Comey was invited to the White House for dinner and asked to pledge his loyalty. Like, I just... uh... And you have all this happening while North Korea... I mean, that's the part of the first version of the Pearls that we recorded Mm -hmm. that is still relevant. I mean, North Korea, over the weekend launch new test missiles, claim they have the ability now to reach the United States. We don't know whether that's true or not, but we certainly know that Nikki Haley and others are ramping up their public statements about putting pressure on North Korea to stop this. You have a new president in South Korea, which appears to have been the motivation for this latest display of force. You still have a Middle East in crisis, right, on a number of fronts. And that's the other thing about this. It's it didn't if it's true as reported by the Washington Post that Trump shared this information, it not only jeopardized a relationship with the source and with all of the United States allies that have not had this information shared with them, but then put in the piece of the fact that while Russia may view the Islamic state as an enemy, sure isn't acting like that in Syria. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And let's just for fun, remember that he's about to kick off a nine-day, five-stop, four-nation tour. I can't wait to see how that goes or what he says while he's on that tour. It will be the first time that he hasn't slept in his own bed, right, since he's been in the White House. Mm-hmm. I think I was reading about how many states and countries um, President Bush and President Obama had visited by this point in their presidency and before this trip. President Trump has only been to nine states and has never slept in them. Like he yeah, always there's a, goes back to his own bed. There's two really great maps of like both like charting where they've both gone at this point. And, you know, Obama's is like all over the place. And Trump's is just red squiggles pretty close to them back, pretty close to them back, pretty close to them back. I mean, he hasn't even been to the West Coast. 
Yeah, he really just goes to his other houses. <sighs> Beth, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated, too. And I'm also frustrated just because I am struggling to find something interesting to say about all this. You know, yeah, we got a message. Yeah, too. I agree. We got a message from a listener who was like, I'm going to, I really like you guys. I'm going to have to take a break because I just feel like I'm not hearing anything other than what I'm hearing everywhere. And the person was very gracious about it and said, like, I get that this is just the new cycle. And I feel that pain because it's hard for us to highlight areas of disagreement um, when when we don't see the nuance in these situations. I, I don't see the nuance in James no. Comey or... Um, this story, if it's true, I'm, I'm trying to be reflective and wait for facts to emerge. I appreciated Senator Bob Corker's comment mm-hmm. in this piece where he said, look, they've just created a terrible environment for themselves. He said he would comment on this when he knows more. But what he'll say today is that this situation is spiraling for the administration. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me of have you ever known people where really anything that you heard about them you would believe because there's so much bizarreness surrounding them generally yeah. that's kind of where this white house is mm-hmm. yeah like what where are they what foot do they have to stand on to sort of say that's not true i mean you just had this big huge massive crazy story where he fired comey and you had six different people saying six different things including the president himself like i the nuance that I have about some of this is I understand the difficulty. Like when he said, well, there's just so much happening. How can they expect it to get it all right? Okay. Like, let me just, I'm going to try here. I understand the difficulty in a unified message. That's hard because people don't like that. <laughs> but this, this is in this, this isn't, you know, a unified message or what you or guys are doing. There is a spectrum here. There's a spectrum between we are on our talking points and nothing crazy is happening and to where we are now, which is just banana land with everybody talking and saying different things. I, I'll, I'll give them this. I think this was a little bit more unified than the Comey firing. How's that? How's that for nuance? Like it or not. Dealing with the press and having discipline about communications with the press and with foreign dignitaries is part of the job. So Trump's tweet about maybe we just should stop having press briefings and do everything in writing, that that's not democratic. No. It is it is a part of what I understand that the media is a pain. Certainly the Republican Party has loved to run against the media for a very long time. It's interesting now to start to see alliances emerge between the intelligence community and the media, for example, and between yeah, some conservatives and the media. It's these strange bedfellows that Trump creates. But, you know, it it is part of the job having everybody on the same page about really important issues is it's just part of what you have to do. And if you're not doing it well, then you need to circle the wagons and learn from that and move forward. Instead, this administration comes out and tells people, we're thinking of firing everyone. Okay, well, again, that's not going to get your team working more cohesively. Um, well, here is here's something else I can offer. It's so disorienting. Like, Reporters in Washington, D.C., in New York City, like, you know, it's very exciting to be on Twitter and see them, like, 
talking about how people at the the press the press shop in the White House is turning the TV up so people can't hear Steve Bannon screaming and like sort of feels like I'm sure the the world is crumbling and everything is so exciting and and everybody's all jacked up in those places. It's so disorienting to be in Paducah, Kentucky and get these crazy stories at the park while you're playing with your kids and everybody's like not really paying attention. <laughs> um, like you kind of like, wow, listen to this crazy story I just got. And people are like, hmm, yeah, that's crazy. And then we go back to pushing our kids on the swing and we go home and we feed our kids dinner. That's what's so disorienting about the whole Trump experience is that you know, sort of covering it on our podcast from not the bubbles is you and I and Dante and Nicholas are like texting furiously, but like everything else around me is going on as normal. So Jane and I were volunteering with our church tonight to deliver meals to senior citizens. And so we're driving to the church. I have the radio on and the news is going. And Jane kind of looks at me like, okay, just tell me what's going on. Because why aren't we listening to Kids Bop? (laughs) And I said, Jane, the president has told some secrets. And that's a very big problem. And Jane goes, oh, secrets. And I said, I know, because we always talk about how we don't have secrets in our family. We share everything in our family. And I said, the president's job is sometimes to have secrets. And it's really important that he keeps them. When he doesn't, it's kind of like a broken promise. And Jane said, well, I bet the people that he broke that promise to are going to be pretty mad. Mm. And it made me realize, and as I was explaining this to her, that, like, that's all of us. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. That's Jane is speaking to me and for me. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. And I think that's what gets lost when the analysis is the politics of every moment, the breathlessness mm. of who will comment on what and how and when sitting here in Kentucky in the car with my child thinking about how the president makes a promise to all of us to safeguard our national security. It it just is a different perspective. I think that is the perfect way to end next in the suit. We will be sharing our pieces that we recorded last night about the New Yorker piece, how Trump gets fired. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools. 
your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So today we wanted to discuss Evan Osno's piece for The New Yorker, How Trump Gets Fired, on current efforts to have Trump removed from office, either through the 25th Amendment or impeachment. Um, we'll link to the show to the article in the show notes. And he also did a really great interview with Terry Gross on Fresh Air that I highly recommend. Um, and so first up, let's talk about the 25th Amendment section of the article. So the 25th Amendment came around in 1967 after the assassination of uh, President John F. Kennedy because there was concern, like, what if he had been left incapacitated or in a coma? Like, who would have—there was really no um, system in place or process in place to make sure that um, there was somebody with the capacity to run the country should something happen to the president that wasn't death, basically. So under Section 4— there's a pretty remarkable set of legal capabilities and sort of process. So if the president is determined to be mentally or physically unfit, then he or she can be removed. And that determination of whether or not the president is unfit is made by the vice president and the cabinet. So that would be crazy if the vice president and the cabinet turned on the president. But, hey, we're living in crazy times. So what did, what did you think about... This article, Beth, and the in well, the twenty fifth amendment part to begin with. I first read the article before the Comey firing, which really was a turning point for me. And I understand that in some people's minds, that's going to be really artificial, and they're not going to understand why that moment was any worse than anything else that's happened. But for me, it just was. There was something about that that felt so 
designed to undermine our institutions and all of the checks on executive power that are in place that I really was in a different space. So the first time I read the article, I thought, I can't believe that we're having this conversation about our president. And I felt really conflicted because there's a lot of truth in it. It's well-researched. It's well thought out. I couldn't take as much issue with some of the legal analysis in it as I kind of instinctively wanted to, you know, because I always start from this place of this is our president and I want to root for the success of our president and our country. And then after the Comey firing, I read it again. I still think the 25th Amendment is a very scary place to go. Putting this in historical perspective and thinking about the go forward, it troubles me to have conversations about a president's mental health in a way that, number one, could be applied as such a political weapon going forward. And two, that could really hurt the conversation that we need to have in this country about mental health. So that's where I shake out. I don't like the 25th Amendment in this context. Well, I actually think with regard, well, I don't know. I definitely say understand what you're saying about mental health, but there's some really banana details in this piece about particularly Ronald Reagan and how, I mean, I'm going to rewind a little bit. When I was at Transylvania University, we had a professor who sort of was pretty insistent that that Ronald Reagan was exhibiting signs of dementia while still president. And his thing was, you know, we know now that anesthesia really affects affects elderly people and particularly those suffering from dementia, which I thought was really interesting. And I kind of always sort of blew it off, but it sounds like that is most likely true that Reagan was definitely, I mean, I think he, the article says he was um, diagnosed like three or four years after he left office. And I mean, we like never saw him again. So I would say, I would say he was probably pretty far along. I don't know, but just some really crazy things about how his staff were concerned and they really thought there were problems and it kind of, you know, reading about that, like, I don't want to be in that position again. And I do think that it is not out, like, in the realm of outer space to think that Donald Trump, who is 70 years old, and, you know, there's a really interesting article that I'll link to that's been going around the internet with this guy who, I don't know if he's a linguistics expert, but he ba- there's like four linguistic signals that somebody's getting dementia. And it's like about their use of nouns and verbs and the number they use. And he went 40 years ago and looked at Donald Trump's interviews. And then he's been, then he did it again, like one of his recent interviews. And he, and he graphs out the word usage. And I mean, he makes a pretty convincing case that there are early signs of dementia and he's clearly, you know, I even read something on Twitter today that was like a close GOP official in the White House says that he's suffering from some sort of paranoid dementia triggered by all this stress. And so, like, I just I, I don't know. I think that if if he is as close as Reagan clearly was, like, I want somebody to do something. This doesn't need to be something staff is covering up. Like this crazy story in the article about Reagan is like they went to lunch and he was laughing and charming and they decided he didn't have dementia. What? No, call a doctor. What are you talking about? I just wonder where that stops, though, because the article also points out that just under half. Yeah, that was a really good part. Yeah, probably have had some kind of diagnosable issue and most of them depression or substance abuse at some point in the presidency. 
And that that is a job that is going to put everyone through it, right? I mean, you can physically see. I remember, I think it was particularly striking with President Obama because he seemed so youthful when he came into office. And just looking at the progression of how it aged him physically was always such a reminder to me that this is an intense amount of pressure. It is so strenuous. It's so demanding. It's got to be just heart-wrenching. And we don't even know the half of it, right? Because so much of it's classified. So it worries me to think about taking the 25th Amendment to a place where it is anything other than a desperate measure for a desperate time as it relates to the president's exhibiting signs of incapacity. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I just think, though, that like I really am viewing it through the lens of mental impairment and not just that you feel stressed or overcome or I would even say use the word incapacitated, but that 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 you don't have that you are impaired from seeing reality the way that it is. And that is really dangerous when there's so much on the line. Like they talk about how paranoid Lyndon Johnson was and how he really wasn't taking in fully the reality of the Vietnam War. I mean, there's just so much at stake. Somebody needs to be at fully functioning capacity in order to comprehend what's happening. And if there is, you know, just no willingness to deal with the stress of the job, or it seems like the stress of job, the job is getting to, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to say like, we need to remove somebody because they're getting too stressed by being president. But if the stress is, is affecting their ability to see reality, I don't know. And I keep thinking about what Howard Stern said about, he thought it would be bad for his, he'd known him for 25 years and he really thought it would be bad for Donald Trump's mental health because he just wants to be loved. And so in a week like this, where you see him acting so erratically as he becomes more and more unpopular, it's hard not to keep thinking about it. And it's not. So we should also add. So it could be the a majority of cabinet secretaries or a congressionally appointed body, such as a panel of medical experts. And if he the president objects, which is called a contested removal, then Congress has three weeks to debate and decide the issue. And a two thirds majority of, in each chamber is required to remove the president. And there is no appeal like that's a lot. Even if we think like this would trigger some like people would be trying it all the way all the time. Two-thirds of majority in each chamber is always going to be a big deal. It is. And that also, I think, speaks to the fact that this is a political issue much more than it is a health issue. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of my discomfort with it. You know, not to go to the West Wing too yeah. much to get to a phys- uh, you know, but you think about at, at what point does this come into play? If you have a president with something like MS, where does the 25th Amendment come in. I I think that it is not wrong for the staff to fill in some gaps, as as I would imagine they're always going to have to do because this job is bigger than one person. I don't know where the line is. And you you know, you read some about first ladies coming in to fill in some of these gaps mm-hmm. sometimes too. And I'm not sure that that's wrong either. It this scares me as a road to go down. The other thing that I always have in mind is I don't want to be sitting at home trying to diagnose what's going on with Donald Trump. I tend to think that it's not a can't, it's a won't with him. But but what do I know? You know? Yeah, I'm definitely team can't on this one. 
So on the issue of this mental fitness, actually, one of my former law professors, Representative Jamie Raskin, who's from Maryland and is a professor of constitutional law at my old law school at American University, and 20 co-sponsors have introduced a bill that would expand the authority of medical personnel and former senior officials to assess the mental fitness of a president. And there is a part of me that thinks like, I can see the political importance of making sure it's his team so that it's not just, you know, about opposition people getting in there and saying, I don't like how he's doing things, so let's call him mentally unfit. But at the same time, it's kind of crazy to think about members of the cabinet who are not mental professionals, mental health professionals assessing this, don't you think? It is. And one of the things that I did find very compelling in this article is that the the commander in chief of the military doesn't have to go through the kind of rigorous screening yeah, that, was that crazy. lots of members of the military have to go through. And it made me think about campaigning and what should the vetting process like how should our vetting process for presidential candidates evolve? Right. That's something that really hasn't evolved much other than they're subject to much more intense media scrutiny because of technology. But Maybe we should think about this earlier in the process. I think it would be such a bad thing for the country for someone to be inaugurated and then have this screening and a bunch of generals or something come out and say, whoops, sorry, everybody. This guy's not up for it. (laughs) Can't let this person have the nuclear codes under our standard testing. I I think it needs to happen much earlier But I appreciate people thinking about that topic because I think it is wrong. And this has nothing to do with President Trump for me. I think it is wrong to ask our military members to serve under someone who couldn't pass the mental and emotional aspects of of the job that they're asked to pass. The other avenue to cutting a president's term short that the article discusses is obviously impeachment. As Evan Osnos describes it, this is something that people are discussing quietly. Even some congressional Republicans quietly have have been in some of these conversations. He says in the article that many Republican members of Congress are privately much less satisfied than they publicly say they are with the president. They see him on the low end of the spectrum as a dangerous embarrassment to the process and on the high end as, as a real problem. So, and, and someone who threatens our constitutional structures. So there's a lot of discussion about this. I thought this was a fascinating aspect of the article because the author points out that many of the things that you would put in the list of reasons to impeach the president are things that he said and did in the campaign. Mm. And how do you reconcile that? One of the biggest takeaways for the article for me, and I'm kind of embarrassed I hadn't really thought about this, but, you know, just because a member of Congress is saying something publicly, that doesn't mean that's what they're saying privately. And I worked on the Hill, I should know that. But I guess I just hadn't, there seemed to be such a united front. I hadn't thought like, oh, they are probably talking about him privately and are very concerned, but they're not going to come out and say that yet because that would be politically risky. And the crazy thing is all these talks that he writes about in this article, they were happening before the Comey stuff. So I can only imagine how many are happening now. On the season finale of The Circus on Showtime, Mark Sanford was on a panel. Mark Halperin and John Heilman and 
uh, Mark McKinnon showed a kind of mini documentary of of the whole season of the show. And then they had a panel to react to it, which was very interesting because it included Mark Sanford, also Jen Palmieri, and um, then Matt Schlapp, who is from CPAC. So Mark Sanford was extremely critical of the president on that panel. And again, this happened before the Comey firing. And at one point, John Heilman asked, does the president have any core values? And Mark Sanford's answer to that question was that survival is his core value. Mm -hmm. And he compared him to a cockroach. Like he used that metaphor in the conversation. He's also quoted in this article, we should say. That's a Republican from South Carolina criticizing the Republican president in that way. That's unprecedented, isn't it? Mm hmm. Well, I think that one of the parts that stuck out to me in this article is they're talking about how he's met with congressional Republicans and small groups, and they're talking to Bill Kristol, and he says, several have been a little bit amazed by the lack of policy knowledge. God knows presidents don't need to know the details of health care bills and tax bills, and I certainly don't either. That's what you have AIDS for. But not even having a basic level of understanding, I think that has rattled people a bit. He added, Reagan may not have had the subtle grasp of everything, but he read the briefing books and he knew the arguments, basically. And Trump is not even at that level. That is so scary. Yeah, there was an article tweeted over the weekend where he was talking about health insurance as though it were life insurance. And you could see that there's just this disconnect on the most fundamental policy issues I I don't know. But but the thing is, that's not new information. We had that information in the campaign. Yeah, but I mean, I just think that you get the sense that even during the campaign, I think that there was, you know, maybe it was wishful thinking. He'll be different when he's in there. Maybe it'll be, well, he'll have really great staff surrounding him and they'll run the show and he'll just approve stuff. Just I think there was like this big optimistic vision that mostly Republicans had for when he got in there. And it's just particularly post Comey is blown up. He's not going to stop tweeting. He doesn't have great staff that know what's going on. He is going to persist in being, you know, thinking that controversy is the way out of every crisis. And I guess I've also really internalized this week post Comey. It's not like I didn't know he was obsessed with the election. But I reading all these like Trump after hours and all these insights, I didn't quite I had not fully thought through and really realized how obsessed he is. And I guess it makes sense because he's constantly feeling like he's not validated and not accepted. And this has been a thing his whole life. But wow, he is really, really obsessed. And it plays to this whole victimhood he does. And I don't know, you know, if he keeps obsessing about this and blowing things up, it's like the article says, really, it's about losing the support of your own party in particular. And there's I saw a a graph on Twitter that was marking um, Nixon's popularity within the Republican Party and when he resigned and where it was and all this stuff. And he when it started, the scandal started with him, he was like at 75 percent of the Republican Party. Donald Trump is like at 80 And he resigned at 50%. And so I guess those are the numbers to really watch. But I don't know. I think it's between the unpopularity of the health care bill, between, you know, his unpopularity and the growing uh, support for an independent investigation into the collusion with Russia. I don't 
you know, if popularity is the key to not being impeached, uh, I don't know how he doesn't end up being impeached, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. I think his obsession with the election is sort of comparable to how I stress eat. Mm-hmm. Something's going wrong for me. I think about ice cream 
or really anything, right? I just, I just feel hungry. It's my body's reaction to stress. And I think that the validation that he felt from the crowds and the rallies is his body's reaction to stress. And that's why he keeps going back to it. It's that it's golf comforting clearly. thing for him. <laughs> yes, golf, golf is his, uh, clearly his other approach. Well, and I thought, you know, when they first filed for reelection, I was just so angry and it felt so diabolical. And I like went directly to a conspiratorial place. And then I was like, oh, oh, that wasn't some grand scheme to power grab. It's because that's the part he likes. Like I kind of that clicked into place for me this too, since Comey is like, oh, he just no, he just really, really likes that part. That's the only part he really wants to do is be adored and be with his base. And I just, I can't fathom how what happened last week. And you know, let's just say he never has a week this bad. Let's say he has, you know, four or five. 12, I don't know, however many more weeks, half this bad. How does he survive that? How does the Republican Party keep standing by this and letting, you know, the hits keep coming and not say, you're not going to take us down with you? Here's what gets me. And this is this goes to the can't or won't point, not even in a there's something diagnosable going on way, but just in a overall intellectual capacity sense. How is the same person who seems incapable of understanding details around, let's just isolate healthcare, also the same person who has managed to get himself into office, surround himself with family members who are sitting near the Oval, you know, steps from the Oval Office in senior policy roles while essentially selling visas to get into this country in connection with their business interests? I always think to myself, no, it's not diabolical, it's incompetence. But then I see the corruption side and mm-hmm. think, that's not incompetent. That's that's highly competent in a direction that is self-centered and working at odds with the American people. And so which is it? And maybe it's not a binary, maybe it's both in some ways, right? But it But I get myself entangled in knots mentally about what's going on with him because I'm always trying to give the benefit of the doubt and say, well, he just doesn't get it or it's not his life experience or whatever. But then I see all these pieces functioning around him so intentionally that I can't give him that pass. Well, I'll say this I would say that I agree. That the selling of the visas and the going to Trump properties all the time, which is clearly increasing the likelihood that they're going to profit all the Trump properties, all these selfish, clearly profit-driven things that the family members are doing, you know, it's a, I won't say simple-minded, but it doesn't take an, you know, intellectual genius to figure out how to profit off the presidency. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, to, to, I guess, you know, and maybe this is just my own worldview, but to me, it's what the Obama White House did is much harder to be no drama, to be focused on these very complex policy goals, to balance, to legislate, to govern in a very um, partisan environment, to 
take this man and appeal to all these different segments of the American population. Like, to me, that is the intellectually taxing task, right? To just go in there and strip out the copper from the house before you burn it to the ground. That's not the, that is not the sort of the effort of someone at just peak capacity. That's just someone who can only see one thing and they can, you know, I I saw somebody, you know, compare it to how he would go into properties and sort of just offload his debt, take the bonuses and get out. Like Warren Buffett is a smart businessman. Somebody that does that, that's not, that's not smart. That's just short-sighted and selfish. I think that gives a little bit of short shrift to the complexities of international business operations though. And I, I do think that especially if you rewind the clock and see this whole thing as a means toward that end, that's pretty elaborate. That's a pretty big hoax that's been perpetrated on oh, the American I don't think people. That, I think that Jared, I think that he wanted it f- like, you know, when th- there's a part, I think when he's with it, maybe there's a Howard Stern interview or something where it's so you can sort of if you h- listen to what he's saying, he's saying, I thought I was going to get more money out of NBC when I did this. Like I was doing this to sort of increase my celebrity. I don't think he was go- thought he was going to win. Or but definitely not win the election and maybe not even the the primary. So I don't think it was I'm going to do this, you know, with this big vision to make more money. I think that at some point Jared Kushner saw the writing on the wall and was like, this is an opportunity. But again, I'm still not convinced that either of them is even a business genius, much less definitely not a political genius. So I don't know. I guess I just think it's I think it's easier intellectually to be selfish and try to get get what you can out of it than to actually do it well and do the best for the most people. Like that's a much harder task. I agree with that. I also think that there is a possibility that he has kind of masterminded this whole thing and the rhetoric that he used was calculated. And this is the other place I wanted to go with this. I'm thinking about what Jim Clapper said to Jake Tapper, which is a very hard sentence. Because I was already complete, you know, confused enough as we remember from last week. (laughs) Um, Jim Clapper told Jake Tapper that he and, and Jim Clapper is the former director of national intelligence who recently testified. He in Congress, he said, he, I think in many ways our institutions are under assault, both externally. And that's the big news here is the Russian interference in our election system. And I think as well, our institutions are under assault internally. And then Jake Tapper said, does that mean you think our institutions are under assault from the president? And Clapper responded, exactly. The founding fathers and their genius created a system of three co-equal branches of government and a built-in system of checks and balances. I feel as though that is under assault and is eroding. Mm. So when I think about President Trump undermining the judiciary in reference to his executive orders, so-called judges, mm-hmm. the judge in Indiana during the campaign, and then the removal of Comey and the removal of Sally Yates. And you put all these pieces together. I stop thinking, well, gosh, he has no impulse control and says whatever he wants and reacts like a child to things that upset him and start thinking, is he purposefully dissembling the structures that are meant to check his power. 
I don't think he's purposely doing it because I don't think he understands our system of checks and balances. I honestly do not believe, you know, when it's like when he says, well, why is it a bad question? Why would it be a bad question? I ask if Jim Comey was going to be loyal to me, because when you don't have a person who's ever served in public service before, then they haven't thought through the checks and balances and how much of our checks and balances is a system of norms. And it's all because we've signed up for this and over, you know, years of experience in public service, understand why those norms are important that we all sort of agree. It's I don't think he thought I'm not going to give my tax records because I'm going to undermine the system of checks and balances. He just thought, oh, no, that doesn't work for me. So I'm not going to do it. I don't think he it's not like he is some, you know, philosophical person that spent decades thinking about the importance of our constitutional democracy. You know, I don't think he is educated about that. And I don't think, I think to purposely undermine something, you have to understand how it works. And I don't think he does. The ultimate conclusion of this article is that impeachment is a completely political process that depends first, almost entirely on the popularity of a president. And the article points out both that the House of Representatives is going to be unlikely to impeach someone who is popular. It also points out that in the case of Bill Clinton, his popularity rose as the impeachment occurred mm. and as the investigation by Kenneth Starr, special prosecutor, drug on. So there are risks to everyone involved in having these conversations and thinking about it. And I'll also say as part of my extreme exit the echo chamber, Laura Ingram has a theory that all the people having this conversation started out with like Valerie Jarrett and the Obamas cooking up this way to say that President Trump is crazy and therefore has to be removed from office. And so in addition to all the political risks that people have out there, they also have this sort of, you know, far right conservative echo chamber saying, see, we knew it all along, like you were never going to give him a chance. So it's a hard mm. conversation to have. It makes me really uncomfortable to be sitting here talking about impeachment of a president. I don't. I, I, but, you know, I guess I'm just going to be uncomfortable for a long time because I, I think it's relevant. I think it's fair to be having this discussion given where we are. Yeah. And I think, you know, how this Comey thing moves forward and, you know, who he nominates next, how that hearing goes. You know, it's not like I haven't thought this before, but. I think that this is just so debilitating and I'm not sure what happens next. I'm not, I'm not trying to predict cause I've been pretty bad at this from the, that at that from the beginning of this podcast, but yikes, what a week, what a week. In the heels today, we're going to talk about, as we always do, what's on our mind besides politics. Did you have a good Mother's Day, Sarah? I did. Did you ha have a good Mother's Day? I saw you got a gift tower. It wasn't a tower. It was a box, but it had the pears in it. And the pears are my jam. They're so good. Okay, but was there one like wrapped in special foil yes. in the picture? Okay, what's that special pear about? I, I don't know. I think they just always do that. Just one. Every in box gold. I've ever gotten, they've they've wrapped one pair. Maybe that's like a the super delicious pair in the. They're already. all super delicious. Let me tell you, Jane. Without any prompting, I cut the pair up. I gave her a pair. 
She goes, wow, mommy, this pair is good. I said, I know. They're they're awesome. Behold the Harry and David pairs. So mm-hmm. that was great. And I saw that you got some jewelry. Which I did. Nice. I got some Lagos earrings. I really love Lagos, which is their hashtag. But I also just plain love Lagos. Um, and I got lots of really great homemade art and breakfast in bed. And we went to church with my mom and grandmother and had a good lunch. It was a very fun day, but we had a very long weekend and um, we had lots of parties and late nights and summer is we're gearing up for summer, which is always sort of exhausting. And while I know it's supposed to be relaxing, ours are always intense. And um, so that was that was a lot of fun. We had a really busy weekend, too. My family came to visit. So I cooked you know, six meals for seven people or something like that. I ran my dishwasher seven times between Friday night and Sunday Woo! afternoon. That's an accomplishment. Yes. So that, that tells you. But, you know, I do find cooking very therapeutic. So I, I got some vitamin D, right? I spent some time outside. I spent some time in my kitchen. And I felt better about a lot of things just kind of spiritually. Yeah. I also am exhausted and need about two days to just recover. Well, speaking of parenting, I did watch the third season of one of my favorite parenting shows, Catastrophe. Have you ever seen Catastrophe? No. Oh, it's so good. It's Rob Delaney, who's sort of like a big Twitter star. And shoot, I cannot remember the British woman's name, but it's really good. It like starts on the premise that like, I think they have a one night stand and she gets pregnant and then they end up getting married. There's like lots of seasons. And I find it to be one of the like more honest and really um, sort of authentic portrayals of marriage and parenting and i really love it and the third season goes to sort of a dark place but i read an interview with them and they say um you know when you have two kids it just takes a lot to create conflict in your life and so we knew we couldn't just sort of mail it in because doesn't not a lot sort of um uh upsets you or sort of upsets the cart when you have two kids and i thought that's so true you know like all these sitcoms where like everybody has three kids and they're like you know so upset about a teacher conflict or a test. I'm like, that's not true. That would never upset me. Like I got way too bigger things to worry about or way bigger things to worry about than that. And I just love the way they said that. I love the show generally. So I highly recommend Catastrophe. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. If you go to patreon.com slash Politics, you can become a support supporter or you can click become a supporter on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Thank you so much to Nicholas Holland our executive producer, also to Tracy Putoff, who is our new executive producer. Thank you so much, Tracy, for your support. We will be back with you on Friday for another episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Bye.